Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Dawn, for that song. That was, I didn't think about that one connecting with our lesson, so that's great. Just want to speak a word, just a quick word. As you all are aware, we have a new president, and uh, we want to continue to pray for him, for all of his staff, and even for the Congress that things will move forward. We know in the last administration, there were many things that were done which we as Christians did not agree with. And it seemed like almost weekly there were things that came out that were in opposition uh, to us and to the Lord. And we're hoping and praying that that will not be the case now, that the government will be more favorable not that we should, uh, should not persevere, whether it's a good, good times or bad, but nevertheless, I think we have an opportunity now to stand up even more for our faith and to reach out with the gospel and to strive to do what's right. And we should not waste this time. We should not waste it. So... Please continue to pray along those lines. Luke chapter 4, we're going to talk about Naaman. <clears throat> Most of you have heard about him, maybe some of you not. Jesus says this, and early on in his ministry, he was there in Nazareth, and they were getting upset with him about some of the things he said, and this is one of the things that he said that upset them. He says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And we might ask the question, why was that? Because Elisha did many marvelous and wonderful miracles. God did them through Elisha, and so he was enabled to do them. Why was only a Syrian not even an Israelite, a Gentile, the only leper cleansed in the days of Elisha. Was it that everybody was trusting in idols? They weren't trusting in the true God of Israel? They didn't care for Elijah, or Elisha, I'm sorry. Uh, he was, you know, pretty stout old guy. Stayed pretty close to the Word of God. Kept calling them to repentance. Maybe they just didn't like him. They didn't want to go to him. We may never know. But all we know is it's a fact. That only Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. His story is in 2 Kings 5. We have that, so we're blessed to have it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look in 2 Kings 5 at Naaman. And the narratives in Scripture teach us many things. Most of the time there is a main point, and there are some sub-points. But in this case, one of the sub-points is almost as important as the main point, in my mind. And so we're going to try to emphasize that this morning. What does it take for the cleansing of Naaman the leper? 
How did that happen? 2 Kings 5.1 Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. There's a lot of good things right here in verse 1 that kind of introduce us to this man and to this story. He was a great man, a captain of the army of the Arameans. He was highly respected by his king. He was a valiant warrior. It seems to me he was a man of highest integrity. It was a person that you wanted on your side. God was with him. Isn't this interesting that it says, by the Lord? But he had given great victory to Aram through Naaman. That the Lord had been with this Syrian in his battles to give victory to this country that was often an enemy of Israel. But it's the truth. God was with this guy. So I think that shows what kind of a person he was. He was, he was an upright man, a man of integrity. He was a good guy. And so God noticed this in him. He saw this in Naaman. He did have the leprosy. It was a curse. It was incurable. In the public square, I can only think about this. You know, here's this great man, but he's got this horrible disease. And some of the rumors that might have floated around, you know, wonder what he's done to our gods to deserve this, you know. He must have done something terrible to have this curse on him. Sometimes we think that today, don't we, about people. They get in some kind of a situation or have some kind of a problem or even some kind of an illness and we automatically think that God has done this to them. We need to be very careful about such thoughts. Verse 2. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. There's a little girl, an Israelite maiden. She could have easily chosen to do mischief where she was, you know. We're not told how old she was. Because she was taken captive in war. She could have been subversive and tried to do harmful things to the household of Naaman, but evidently she wasn't that kind of a person either. And she showed, chose to show compassion. And she chose to love her enemy even before Jesus commanded it, didn't she? Didn't she? She acknowledged Naaman as her master and his wife as her mistress. And she says, she knew about Elisha the prophet. She said, boy, I just wish that my master could come to him. He, could be, he would heal him. 
I think in all this narrative, Naaman's wife is overlooked. You probably didn't even notice that yourself. We're always focusing on the little slave girl. But the little slave girl says this first to Naaman's wife. She could have easily dismissed his little girl's words, but she evidently thought, okay, this must be a good thing, and evidently brought the little slave girl to Naaman for her to tell Naaman what she knew about Elisha. Verse 4, Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. Here I think we have a noble king. A king who really was concerned about Naaman, one whom he favored and one who had done great things for his country. He could have easily thought, wow, this is a plot. This little girl's lying to us. She's setting us up. This would, would show our weakness. That we're, we're, Aram, we're Aramites. We have our own, or Arameans. We have our own gods. What about our own gods here in this land? Well, can't they heal you? Where's their power? You know, he could have done and gone through all those kind of gyrations. But he didn't, did he? He said, okay, let's do it. And I really think he was the one, we're not told specifically, but I really think he was the one that supplied all of this gold and these changes of clothes so that his captain of his army could be healed. This is a noble king as well. He says, I want this for this man. Let's make it happen. Great lesson here for us with, with, the, with this king and what he does. When someone matters to you, you will do whatever it takes to take care of them, won't you? When you truly love someone, you will do whatever it takes to take care of them. That's what this king was doing. Let's do it. Now, these, uh, this gold and silver and this change of clothing, that was a small fortune. It was not a bribe. It was a gift. That was often done, as you read through the Old Testament. There was often a gift brought to a prophet or even to a king or to someone you wanted to do something for you. It was just a gift. I appreciate you, and uh, I hope that you uh, can do for me what I'm asking. And so Naaman takes the silver, the gold, and the changes of clothes. And he comes to the king of Israel, verse 6. He brought the letter. The letter was written by the other king, the king of Aram, to the king of Israel, saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God 
to kill and make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. Somewhere in the communication here, and the king, the one of the first king writing this letter, they kind of got some things jumbled up because it comes across that like the king of Israel is the one who's supposed to do the healing. So he's all upset here and says, am I God? You know, what is this? He's just wanting a quarrel with me. He's wanting, he's wanting something against me. He's wanting to stir something up when I'm not able to cure this, uh, this general, this captain of the army, then he's going to say, oh, okay, you didn't, you didn't want to do that for me. We're coming out the war, and we're going we're to come back at you. So the, uh, the king of Israel is all upset. He's very conflicted, and we see he tears his clothes. And we all know that that was a sign of being in great distress or great grief when anyone tore their clothes in those days. Um, Evidently, they didn't have designer clothes. They didn't worry about, you know, tearing up the good stuff, whatever. But maybe it was easy to stitch back together since it wasn't really complicated. They just had a robe. So. But anyway, that's what they did. They tore their clothes. And so the king of Israel tears his clothes. And, well, of course, Elisha, being on the in, in with God, he understands and knows what's happening. He might have heard that by way of the grapevine out there, you know, when things happen uh, even today in, uh, in the White House or in Congress. Of course, there's media everywhere to report every last little thing, but we hear about it, don't we? We hear about it. Well, they had their ways in those days. They heard the king has torn his clothes. Something's going on. Verse 8. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. So Elisha's in on this. He understands. He says, Send him to me. This shows uh, the metal or the, the heart of Elisha. He's truly a, a prophet's prophet, a no-borders prophet, a willing prophet. You know, here's, here's the captain of this country, these Arameans, who have been, as it says there, making raids on Israel. He could have said, I'm not helping my enemy, Right? I ain't doing anything for him. What? Hey, that, that's not good. That's not patriotic. He says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. It was more important that he showed that there was a power of God in Israel than that he would fight against Naaman and not heal him. It was more important. We need to keep our priorities straight. Elisha had his priorities straight. He was for God 100%. 100%. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him. Here's Naaman. He's finally found the, the house where Elisha's staying, and he, he's there at the door. Here I am. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. Well, we have a messenger comes out. 
not Elisha. It's a messenger, a servant. And again, I think I show, this shows Elisha's heart. He has no need to be present or even to personally give the instructions. In other words, it wasn't about him. He wasn't really doing the healing anyway. It was God. He's just a servant of God. This is what God wants you to do. Go do it. He sent a messenger. If we could just remember that, that we are simply servants of Christ Jesus. He's the one who has the power. He's the one that does it. We just serve him. We need to point to him. Not to bring any kind of accolades or glory to ourselves or congregation at all. It's just about Christ. And that's what Elisha sends a messenger. Go, go do this. Dip in the Jordan seven times. If you're with us in our Sunday morning Bible class in Revelation, we understand the word seven. It means perfection. Completeness. Here's that word. Seven. That number. It's easy enough. Not complicated. It's not something that's difficult to do. Go dip in the Jordan seven times. You'll be cleansed. You'll have baby skin again. We got Reagan, we got Amelia here, you know. You want to touch that? Well, maybe Christopher won't let you touch Amelia, but get that baby skin nice and soft. Yeah. Well, Naaman doesn't take to that too well. He's kind of misguided. Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He's really upset. I traveled all the way for this with this gift, and I've just got to go dip an old muddy Jordan River seven times? What, what is this? He's not even going to come out and talk to me? See, even Naaman thinks it's about the prophet, doesn't he? I'm going to see the prophet. The prophet comes out in these robes and oh, blah, blah, and incantations and waving stuff and all that. No, we know that that's not God's way. It never has been and it never will be. It's about the water. The Jordan is it's muddy, it's dirty, and our, our rivers are a lot better than that. So he gets mad and leaves. How many people reject Jesus and his truths because they think his ways and teaching ought to be something else? You've probably talked to some. They've formed opinions and beliefs from various sources, and when the book is opened and it's not what they believe, they get upset. 
just like Naaman. You might have done the same. The Holy Scriptures are the truth. We need to examine everything. Hold fast to what is good. We got all of us have some presuppositions and misconceptions that slip in over time, and we always have to keep checking, keep digging. What is the truth on this particular matter? Whatever I'm studying. Naaman was upset. He thought it was about the prophet. He thought, you know, he's going to do something great and come out, but he went away. Well, it's not over. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, I noticed, noticed the thought came near. See how that fits in with the fact he was angry and upset? You never want to go near somebody that's angry, do you? Just leave him alone. All right, just stay away from, stay away from her for a while till she cools down. All right, so he's out there fuming, doing his thing, whatever it is. So then they finally, it's time. They came near and spoke to him and said, "My father, you know, you can kind of see him. You know, he's he's their master. My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he says to you, wash, and be clean?" So there, these servants of his must have cared about him. Again, I think this shows the kind of man he was. That he was really basically a good man. They kept their cool, if you will, and spoke wisdom, and they were willing to stand up to him. Take their time and say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, if he had said, why don't you go down there and conquer the Philistines, you'd have done that. Boy, that would have touched your heart, right? Boy, I can do that. But this is just a simple thing. Why don't you do it? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. He listened to his servants. Isn't that something? He listened to his servants. Sometimes we make up our mind. We don't want to listen to anybody. We know. We know. Again, I think this shows his heart. He listened to the messenger's instructions. He did what he was instructed, and he was cleansed. He was cleansed. Can you imagine? You know, obviously on the first, second, third time, nothing's happening. Maybe he's thinking it's going to be progressive. I don't know. I don't think it was. The sixth time, nothing. The seventh time, pow! It's gone. Can you imagine his feelings? His thoughts? It's true. Man of God. He was a prophet of God. It happened. And that's what he says in 15. When he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. 
So please take a present from your servant now. See, there's the gift. But he said, meaning Elisha, or perhaps his messengers, the Lord lives before my stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He's standing before Elisha there. He finally gets to see him. So God shows up at the end of the story. At the end of the story. And he heals Naaman. And Naaman knows there's one true God in Israel. Only one in all the earth. It's his power, compassion, his way of working. He is the source of truth and he heals Naaman the leper. And that's the main point of the story. There's only one God in all the earth, and that God was Israel's God. That's the main point of the story, and he healed Naaman. The secondary, the secondary point that I want to point out is this. How many people did it take to bring Naaman to his healing? By God. Think about that. The little girl. Her mistress. King of Aram. The king of Israel. The messenger. Elisha. And the servants. There's that number again. Seven. Isn't that amazing? We can make a spiritual application here to today. The leprosy on Naaman is sin. We cannot eradicate it ourselves. And in verse 12, you know, Naaman is correct. The Abana and the Farpar were probably a lot better rivers than the Jordan. But God didn't say to dip in them, did he? He said to dip in the Jordan. You know, today we people think there's other ways to be saved besides being immersed into Christ. Say a sinner's prayer have water sprinkled on you or whatever. Some even think God's going to save everybody. But that's not what the word says, is it? It's not. Those who are immersed into Christ have put on Christ. It's what God says to do. And then again, as we think about bringing a person to Christ... How many people think it's only the obligation or duty of the preacher to do it? Or maybe the elders. But here there are seven people in a chain who all in one way or another helped Naaman get his healing from God. And so it should be today as we see people who need Christ we see people and know people that need to come back to Christ. That we all, because we are servants of God, and we have the love of God in our hearts, 
ought to be actively working and doing our part, whatever that is, to encourage, to teach, to call, to visit, to help someone find the Lord, find their salvation, find the Christ. What a great lesson Naaman teaches us. As far as I know, I'm not sure. He might appear again in the pages of the Bible, but I think he disappears then. But he teaches us a great lesson, the story of Naaman. Are you a Christian? Are you following the ways of God? Are you doing what the Lord says? Jesus said in one place, take my yoke. You know, it's not hard. My commandments are not difficult. Just do what I ask you to do. I'll be with you. If you need to be baptized this morning, we stand ready to help you with that. If you're a Christian, and you need to repent. Refocus your life and return to the Lord. We are here to help you with that. Maybe not this morning, but I always hate to say that because the Spirit is working now and you've heard the lesson, but maybe it'll be this afternoon or sometime this week and the Spirit, the Word will move you. I'm available, Mike, Mike, Don, Rick, to help you find Christ. Won't you come while we stand and sing?